Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Variety, I'm Michael Schneider. Actor Ron Livingston has seen it all, working in comedy and drama and on TV, film, and stage. But like many viewers, he was floored by the Red Wedding episode of HBO's Game of Thrones, titled The Reigns of Castamere. It's interesting that it's called Reigns of Castamere because the other thing that's kind of amazing about that episode is, in in one way, the, the whole episode is about the lyrics to a song. Mm-hmm. And they introduce the song... Uh, earlier in the episode, and then they, you know, the, you hear the song in the end credits of the episode, and it, 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 the penny drop, the song itself plays a, a huge uh, role um, in the. It's a plot point. It's a, you know, it's a denouement. It's um, so the, the the fact that they could do that with a song um, was kind of incredible. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that it did, you know, here we are towards the end of season three. Um, like it, 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 it floored me when uh, you know when Ned Stark died. Right, right. That's you when know? they told when you Sean B died yeah. in in season one. That was like a oh my god! I can't believe this is happening. All what bets are, are off. What are, all yeah. bets are off. What are we watching? But. You get lulled a little bit by the idea that well, okay, well they did that once. They can't. They're not going to. They can't do that again. Can't shock you again. And right. sure enough, in season three, they just they just sucker punched us with, um, you know, we lost like two thirds of the good guys. We're yeah. all of a sudden like gone, and uh, it it really sort of sends notice that um, it makes the world, which is supposed to be dangerous. You know, but it it doesn't always feel dangerous in fantasy because you sort of know the good guy's going to win. Like Luke Skywalker, you know, is in peril, but we know he's not actually in peril. Right. Um, not so Game of Thrones. You yeah. know what I mean? After that episode, you knew that uh, nobody was safe on that show uh, ever. So I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the podcast, we talked to Loudermilk and A Million Little Things star Ron Livingston about his current series, his career choices, including that early appearance in the classic film Swingers, plus his favorite episode of TV of all time, that iconic red wedding moment on Game of Thrones. It's my favorite episode. My favorite episode's about to start Ron Livingston can't be pigeonholed as one type of actor. He's perhaps still best known as Peter Gibbons in the cult classic Office Space, but he's also been seen on Band of Brothers and Boardwalk Empire, among dozens of other titles. He's been in romantic comedy, satire, drama, action, animation, thrillers, and just about every other kind of film, TV, or stage work imaginable. And he kind of likes it that way. Currently, Livingston can be seen in the AT&T audience network comedy Loudermilk and the ABC drama A Million Little Things. 
When IndieWire asked the actor to select his favorite episode of TV of all time, he picked an iconic one. All right, so Ron, I asked you to pick your favorite episode of TV of all time. Really hard question. Yeah, there's... Very a, hard to do. A lot of... Lot, but but uh, I was... Uh, you know, you came back pretty fast, and uh, you chose the, the Red Wedding episode of Game of Thrones. I did. I thought about going, like, way back, because I, I remember the All in the Family episode where Edith goes through menopause, and... There's a Carol Burnett episode where they they send up uh, Gone with the Wind. Oh yeah, I felt like famous. none of your listeners would know what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, so, you're you're showing your age yeah, at that point. Is that in the in the last say fifteen twenty years? Mm-hmm. Uh, I that episode uh, just really kind of sticks with me as as what writing can. Uh, can be at its at its finest. Yeah, yeah, and, and so, acting and you know directing the the whole thing. But the story, it's just such a perfect little little gem of an episode. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny the the, the real title of the episode is the Reigns of Castamir, but That's we right. all just remember it as the Red Wedding episode right. now, just because yeah. it was so. Uh, it, it was a, a, the the penultimate episode of season three, and really a game changer. People who don't watch the show heard about the Red Wedding. Now, were you a Game of Thrones fan from the beginning, or yeah? Uh, I think I came into it in season two, or th- I, I came into it in season two, binged uh, season one, and then and then caught up. Yeah, um, yeah, I. I uh, I got hooked to it. It's it's just it's really well done. Please. He is my son. My first son. Let him go and I swear we will forget this. I swear it by the old gods and you. We will take no vengeance. You already swore me one oath right here in my castle. You swore by all the gods your son would marry my daughter. Take me for a hostage. But let Rob go. Rob, get up. Get up and walk out. Please. Please. And why would I let him do that? What what drew you to, to Game of Thrones um, as a fan? I was, you know, I was a big, uh, it's funny, I was a big fan of, uh, of J.R.R. Tolkien, all, mm-hmm. the, all the Middle Earth stuff. Um like kind of a crazy nerd about it, like way, way into it. Uh, and in a way, I didn't really read any other fantasy because I didn't think it measured up. Um, and I, I, I feel like when Game of Thrones came along, I was primed to want to like it. And then sure enough, it, it really had a, it has a depth to it. Um, you know, the, the, the world is really compelling. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's that's most of it. Is that the world is really compelling, and the and the idea, the structure, of we're gonna have all of these um, protagonists, and we don't know which one is the protagonist of the show. We're not gonna find out who the you know who the the heroes that we're rooting for until the very end. So it's it's a little bit like a game of Survivor. It's it's a game of Thrones. <laughs> Yes, really? indeed. It's it yeah. is a dense show. It is yes. it is hard. To, this is one of those shows where you, you can't watch with your your laptop in your, your your lap because you have to pay full attention. Yeah. Um. So so and the the complications of it over the years. Uh, I find that every year I have to go back and and basically reread all the synopsis of the previous season because I've forgotten. It's hard to keep so it up. Much. Yeah. 
They so, do a great job, I think, with the previously on as far as like, oh, okay, that's what I need to know to get through this next episode that I'm seeing. But no, I'm with you. I think at some point, uh, you know, before they come back, uh, um, I'm going to have to, I don't know when I'm going to find the time to do that, but I got to go back and see some stuff again. Um, too late to get on the show, unfortunately. They've wrapped, but there yeah. are spinoffs. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah. In case you ever want to work your way uh, onto one of those. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. What did you watch as a kid? What were your uh, favorite shows growing up? Um, I I was a big fan of Hogan's Heroes. Uh, the Adam West Batman yeah. show was hands down my favorite show, um, I think, from probably second second grade on. Yeah. Uh, I still think it's a great, you know, it's just the comedy in that. The sort of subversive, uh, really dry... Uh, comedy in that was just something that I I had never I'd never seen that before. Yeah, you know that kind of arch campy. Like I, I, I was like, what is this? Yeah. Um, the Carol Burnett show was something that like I watched. I remember watching with my my family, and you know, just seeing your parents howling with laughter. Yeah, is a is is a great uh, you know fond memory uh, that that the show gives you. Um, but yeah, man, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of great shows. I was on board with Hill Street Blues, although I caught it in syndication. I didn't I didn't see it when it came out. Yeah, well, I was gonna say a lot of these shows you probably caught the the repeats oh, in syndication because you're, you're not that, you're not that no, old. You're, I wasn't there for the you know it's like seventy five year old Ron yeah. Livingston. <laughs> no, not quite. No, well, getting there, but not quite. Not quite. So, but that's cool. You caught up on a lot of the the, the classics. And yeah. Uh, was was there any any show in particular that that sort of inspired you as uh, a, a budding actor or or something that convinced you like yeah that's that's what I want to do? Uh, you know what? No, there's definitely a lot of shows that I ripped off over. You know, um, like I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that. Uh-huh. That's just you know you know what I mean. Like that's a good tick or that's something. a good something. Yeah. Um, you know I remember, but. No, I I, uh, I I can't say that I did. I, I I mean, when I started, I lived, grew up in Iowa, so you, there was no quest. There, you couldn't be a professional actor in Iowa. I think there were seven of them. Yeah, you know, and you, one of them would have to die for there to be a spot for another one. Right, right. Um, and that's working on stage in Garrison, Iowa. So, uh, so it was like being on a softball team. You know, you're not going to be a professional fast pitch softball player, um, but you can really enjoy. You can be the best. You know, you're yeah. playing in the church league or whatever, and uh, acting. That's what acting was. It was the you know school productions and uh, community theater productions. So I don't think it was later um, that it occurred to me that uh, that this is something that maybe I could actually do. Yeah. Yeah. No, and uh, by the way, Swingers uh, happened to come out the same year I moved out to L.A., and I was at that age as yeah. well. So That's right about the same. Still, yeah, I yeah. was. I got there maybe a year or two before you did. It was um, that it was all of our stories. That's yeah. and that's the thing that's so amazing about that is that John had the, you know, uh, the perspective and the wherewithal to be, you know, in a kind of big tumultuous shifting time of his life when he was you know going out and seeking his fortune but to also see the comedy of it and to kind of just document it so specifically yeah um you know there's so many little things in that that it's it's a little bit when i watch that movie now 
It's kind of like watching old home movies, you know, like yeah. old eight millimeter of your you're running around through the sprinklers on the yard because it's um, it's not so much character that you're playing. It's like no, I'm watching myself at at twenty twenty six twenty seven years yeah. old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a moment in time. Mm-hmm. But Marty and Elaine are still at the Dresden Room. They're still so there. That's pretty amazing. God love them. <laughs> What would you say was the your moment? What 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 was your sort of if if there was a break or or someone did something or even said something to you that put you on this path? Um, I mean, it depends on how far back you want to go. Yeah, um, you could I could go back to the sixth grade play. I could go back to the ninth grade play. Uh-huh. Um, but if you, if you're talking about in a like as a like quote unquote professional, yeah. Uh, which is in quotes because you have to declare yourself a professional long before anyone actually pays you to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're professional because you say so. Uh, and uh, I, I'd say Swingers was a big a big deal. Um, there was a movie that was I did before Swingers called The Low Life, and nobody saw it, but it was still a big deal because yeah. it was a you know i had a credit on a yeah. you know on a movie well what got you your sag card what was the straight very talk first? yeah yeah straight talk with dolly parton and james woods wow i uh, had three lines all three of them were cut but i was still in the um i'm still sort of in the opening montage dancing with dolly parton and uh, I think it was build in order of appearance, so I feel like I got second or third billing. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> was good. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So that that was she was she was like a talk show host, right? Yes, and, exactly. And so what she, what did she you? She was a radio. She was like a radio host. Uh, yeah. Um, that was you know homespun uh, wisdom. And, um, it was. Uh, I, I I played a uh, she we when we start off before she becomes a talk show the the radio host she. Um, She's a, a dance inst- like a ballroom dance instructor, and, a, and uh, we see a montage of just uh, how challenging that job is. And uh, you know, and one of the snippets is uh, I'm I, I'm playing a a soldier who's like just being in a, kind of inappropriate and grabbing her and being inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And she's you know trying to put up with it. Hashtag me too. Hashtag me too. Yeah, right. At the time, it's like, oh, this is our funny opener. Right, right. You know that that everybody can relate to, and and um, I'm glad that it we don't look at it that way anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's interesting. Your very first role was you were a, uh, a soldier. Yes. So yes. So not not that there's continuity between that and say Band of Brothers. Probably <laughs> not. No, probably not. Um, and, and uh, of course, people probably still ask you the most about office space, or is yeah. that still the, the the one that pops that's up? That's like the like the civilians yeah. on the streets. That was that's that's I'm really proud of that movie. That's the one I think that's uh, it's just kind of lasted. Mm-hmm. Um, the way it kind of built uh, was was sort of amazing. It was all, it was my first big. Uh, like lead lead yeah it was my my first like studio you know and it was a studio lead and it was uh so it was a it was a big deal you know that was yeah. that was a big deal that's probably i think of every any job uh that i ever like quote unquote landed uh that was the biggest fish that i that i probably still to this day from where i was at before that job to having gotten that job yeah yeah it was a big one 
and to have worked with so many of these also sort of these these talented creators who aren't, haven't been pigeonholed. Like when you look at Mike Judge's career yeah. and the things that he's done up until now, you can't just say he's the Beavis and Butthead guy. You can't. No. You, he's he's not one person. Kind of like you know Peter Farrelly now. Um, so so would you say is there anything in particular that you took from that experience that you still use today? I mean. You know, the, the the funny thing about that is it would seem that uh, I'm a genius as far as picking extraordinarily gifted people to work with. Um, just take it. Just say, yeah, you are. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost – I feel like it's a little bit uh, – I, I kind of didn't fit neatly in any particular box So uh, as an actor. So I think I would only tend to get hired – by people who were already capable of thinking outside the box. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's a part of the reason that, uh, I, you know, I got to be a part of a lot of extraordinary projects yeah. that were uh, slightly innovative, you know? Yeah, and that's that's something I think I remember asking you about when we did ATX a couple years ago, and it still sort of holds true because right now you're in such different kinds of projects. Uh, yeah. And you've always been known as someone who can do comedy who's done drama who's done action who's, who's you know that that's i assume has been a benefit to not be pigeonholed that there hasn't been a oh well that's that's a ron livingston he, he can only do one type of thing i mean that was really important to me uh as i was coming up i just i would i really didn't want to get stuck doing uh, uh you know multi-camera sitcom television uh forever yeah um, that you know the truth of the matter is is if you want somebody if you just want somebody to be funny there's a lot of people that are a lot funnier than I am like they're all they're everywhere if you want somebody to be like you know strikingly good looking the, you're not gonna you're not gonna cast me for that if you want somebody to be a, a villain that's you know what I mean I'm I'm never gonna work so the kind of stuff that I would be able to get would be stuff where they needed a little bit of all of those things mm-hmm. kind of intertwined. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's a blessing, really, because the, that's a lot of the, the most fun stuff to work work on. Um, but it did come, I, you know, I think my career, uh, my agents would scratch their heads because, of the way, you know, the way you kind of rise to stardom is you do something really good, and then you do it again on a bigger platform for more money, and then you do it on a the biggest platform for the most money. And so uh, I, I think when they saw me kind of frog hopping around between like, well, now I want to, you know, I've just cracked this comedy thing, and I've got my foot in the door, and now I want to go do Band of Brothers, you know, and I've just cracked this drama thing, and I, you know, and now yeah. I want to go do something else. Yeah, uh, and it's. Uh, you know, so it, it's. It, I'm sure it. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of projects that uh, that I could have got that I didn't get because I was doing that, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, you you are a man of many platforms on television <laughs> at this moment. Yeah, it's been a busy October. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we see you on broadcast, of course, with a million little things. We see you back on cable with season two of Louder Milk, and you even pop up on the Romanoffs. Yes. So, so you're doing a little streaming too. You are you you you're the triple threat right now. You're on all three platforms. You know, I got to diversify. So you got to make sure uh, 
you know, you're you're on something somewhere. Yeah, but nonetheless, it's uh, this this kind of the the new way TV now is produced is allowing you to do multiple things kind of all at the same time. Yeah, it's the it's a little bit of the wild west right now. Um, I remember when I first started out in the '90s. Um, you know, TV was was very different. It was it was still the big three, and Fox was kind of the up and comer that was trying to. It was a like a big deal that yeah. their big three might turn into a big four, right? You know, and but, that was still the place to be. I mean, that was yeah. And uh, but at the same time, the independent film came along, and all of a sudden, it kind of upended uh, the movie side of things, and there was a lot of opportunity for. Uh, people to kind of get in and because there was a lot of experimentation going on yeah um and i feel like uh, a similar thing has happened in the last couple of years with television where the the business model just got turned on its ear and uh, all of a sudden there's a market for uh something that's different and you know kind of nichey and uh yeah and the success is measured in all kinds of different uh Byzantine ways that we don't even really know yeah. if something's a hit anymore. Because uh, are we counting viewers? Are we counting subscribers? Uh, or are we counting like hits? Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of freeing to some degree, right? Now, now that you don't have to necessarily look at the, those numbers and and just you know look look at the long the long story, the long tail. Yeah, I mean the good news about it is I didn't. It, it, I, I could look at them before, but it didn't. It didn't mean anything because it's not not my side of the of the you know camera. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, really just. I've always just tried to do stuff that's good and make it good, and yeah. that that hasn't changed. Um, but definitely the opportunities for things. Uh, there's more opportunities now, I think, than ever. Yeah, and I think maybe the big difference for you is that in the past, if you were going to commit to a TV series, there was a chance that 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 was a full time gig. That you know, 24 episodes, oh, yeah. you wouldn't have time to do much else other than during hiatus. No, uh-uh. They, uh, yeah, they own you. And I mean, you, time or even energy to do something else, you know, cause they, uh, they worked you pretty hard. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, it's different. You know, louder milk, we do, we do 10 episodes, um, and we work really fast. We do an episode every four days. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is fast. Yeah. It's, um, and part of the reason that we can do that is that, uh, we block shoot it, um, Last year, we did all 10 episodes uh, at, at once. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of constantly jumping around in the timeline. Uh, and that allowed us to, like, okay, when we're in the church basement, we're going to shoot all the church basement scenes for the entire series. Yeah. And when we go to the apartment, we're going to shoot all the apartment scenes for the entire series. Uh, and it's um, kind of a great way to do it because you you know – it's you know the, the the old school way was that if a, if it was a movie you knew the beginning and the middle and the end and if it was a TV show you knew the beginning yeah uh, and that was it and uh, so you know this was kind of like making a big five hour movie yeah I was gonna say and it sounds like the way it was shot too you sort of have to think of it as a movie otherwise trying to piece together okay this is a scene now we're doing from episode eight and now we're going to shoot something from episode two and how do you kind of keep track of your character's emotions and where he's at in the course of the season yeah uh, is- there, there was a, there was definitely some jigsaw puzzle aspects to it and uh there was uh, there was at least a couple of times where um you know uh, pete Fairley and bobby Mort. And I and the first AD uh, would would be standing in a circle, going, "Okay, so is this? Wait a minute, is this? 
before or after uh, such and such. Yeah. And you could look around and you'd see that nobody knew the answer. You know, we all knew that we needed to know the answer. But yeah. every once in a while, there was something that just kind of stumped everybody. And, uh, and you know, and then we had to go look it up. Yeah, yeah. But nonetheless, you, you pulled it off. Yeah, and, we, and we, we did it. When did you shoot uh, season two? Season two we did uh, in uh, July and August of this year. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's quick. Yeah. Um, it's it's a lot quicker. In fact, I think they're still doing post on uh, on the last three episodes. I was going to say that is a quick turnaround. And so and so, so so that was sort of in between also doing the pilot, to a million little things, and and now shooting that series. Yes. So it was uh, there was I, the pilot I did uh, back in the late late spring. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was shooting concurrently with I was doing louder milk a million little things. Oh, they. Fortunately, they both shot in Vancouver, so uh, I, you know, was able to kind of go back and forth between those two things. But yeah, it was a busy couple months. I bet. Does is uh, do you do you enjoy that sort of? Do you, is is it tough to sort of get out of one character's head and into another character's head, and then vice versa when you're doing it simultaneously? It, not, I didn't. Not really. I mean, it, just the like there were a lot of lines to learn that you know that was uh there, there was a lot of work to be done but i like i like working yeah you know i mean I, I, <laughs> jobs are I, good yeah yeah actors we tend to like working better than not working right so um yeah it was a, it was a lot of fun yeah yeah no that's 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 cool and so louder milk uh you know obviously there there's a you know, your your character has gone through a lot, but he goes through a lot at the end of season one, and he's he's still sort of uh, dealing with the the the, the ramifications of his, of his friendship and the destruction of that friendship to some degree. Um, but it also seems to have given him a new ambition in season two to take take charge of his life, uh, get back to writing, and he he seems to be on a a much better path. Where, where, where would you say Loudermilk is as, as we enter season two? Yeah, I think we, we blew up his life uh, in season one um, and kind of took away everything that he had taken for granted. And I think when that happens, there's a freedom as you start putting it back together again of saying, well, let's, let's put it back together, you know, a little better. And, and uh, so I feel like a, a lot of season two is about, him finally get coming around to trying to tackle some of the bigger things, mm-hmm. um, you know, like why doesn't he write anymore? Uh, he's got to get into issues of family. Yeah. Um, he's got to, you know, figure out uh, what his, you know, relationship with Allison is, what his relationship with Ben is, um, you know, and he's still the same guy. He's the biggest a-hole in the world. And he, you know, he wakes up miserable every day and takes it out on everybody. And, uh, and just wants to get through the day sober, and you know, and, and then he's back at it again the next day. And uh, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of fun to do. It allows us to go a lot of different places. Um, but yeah, we, we're going to see him squirm this season. We didn't think it was true that you were running a meeting out of a record store or closet. Well, I'm glad you're here now. How's everybody doing? Yeah. Well, I have chills from that wave of excitement coming at me. Why'd you move? Me? What about you? You disappeared. I was just giving you some space. It's been a month. It's a month and two days. I don't forget anniversaries. It's over. She's back with that clown, the doctor. What kind of a woman goes with the man who has the money, the securities, looks, the future, instead of going with the floor cleaner who runs a rehab in a record store closet? I'm a critic with an impeccable reputation. I'm a published author. I'm somebody. 
ish. You gotta learn to let things go and forgive. I'm very sorry that I married your ex-wife. Grovel somewhere else, fatty. Lot of monkeys got nowhere to go. How do you know where I was? One of the group guys saw you. You're coming to my meetings. Let's get the band back together and go back to the church. You slip up. Just one time, I swear, I will burn this church down and join a satanic cult. So we're in. Yeah. Well, you know, you say he's the biggest a-hole in the world, but yet we also see he, he's got this true moral compass, which, you know, he's he's presented, uh, for example, I've, so I've seen the first three episodes, so I don't know where it goes mm-hmm. from there. But, you know, he's presented with a situation with, uh, you know, one of the people in his group who reveals a secret. And a lot of people in the group are like, just l- let's let it lie. Let's just not deal with this. Let's not, you know, report this at all. And, and louder milk reports it. He, he, he sort of takes the moral high ground, um, which, you know, I found myself actually saying, don't do it louder milk. Like <laughs> yeah. why, why are you complicating things? Just let it go. This is, you, there was a solution here and now you've blown it up. Um, so, so how, talk about that dichotomy of, of him being an asshole, but yet sort of being the most moral guy in the room. You know, it's um, it, it, there's the one thing that Laddermilk knows uh, is that you know to, you got to work the steps, um, and I think anybody that's that's had experience with uh, you know recovery, uh, it, it's. To do that, you have to just be brutally honest with yourself, uh, do an inventory of yourself, and uh, and and you know call him like you see him. Mm-hmm. And there's something about him that he's uh, that's kind of how he's wired anyway. Um, that's how he was when he was a music critic. Uh, he doesn't care what people think of him. Uh, he can't help but be brutally honest. And so I think in that situation, it just comes down to, you know, it's, it's not even like he, it's, he's doing the right thing. It's like, he knows what this kid needs to do mm-hmm. and he can't not tell him to do that. Uh, you know, and I'll, I'll give you a great story. Cause that's a, I, I love that episode. I love that scene. Um, and this is, it's kind of a little bit about how, uh, uh Pete Fairley and Bobby Fairley work. Um, the kid that uh, that does that, uh, Deacon Moon, um, was on the show all last year as a background artist, sitting in a, in the circle uh, in the church basement. Uh-huh. No lines. Um, wasn't really an actor. Uh, he's been doing background work for I think fifteen years, and uh, never had a never had a speaking part. Yeah. And uh, when this part came along. Pete was sort of like, well, it feels really weird to have this part, and all of a sudden, some guy's gonna, sh- a new guy's gonna show up, and then turn out to, you know, yeah, ha- have this storyline, and it seems kind of convenient. Uh, and so he took a flyer on, uh, on Deacon, and Deacon parked it. Yeah, he just knocked it out of the park. It was like, it was astonishing. But that's the kind of, uh, those are the kind of like chances. You know that's how Pete Fairley works. Yeah, uh, that's how Bob, Bobby Fairley works. They like to, they like to uh, bet on people. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. I, you're right. That that That's a payoff. And, and you know, when everyone else in the, the, the group says he's never spoke before, like, that's literally yeah, we, true. We got to we got to actually have a little fun about the fact of, like, we've been, this guy's been sitting here for a year and we haven't ever said hello to him or know who he is. Yeah, yeah. You know? And he, he comes through and, and <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that is yeah. fascinating. Um, and, and, uh, Peter Farrelly, by the way, he's he's got like this Oscar contender movie now too. Uh, I can't wait you know, to see it. as he's heading in the, the the drama. You know, he's he's doing TV now. He's doing yeah. drama. It's uh, it's it's been fascinating to see his career uh, progress. Uh, you know, given that he's been a superstar director for so many years, and he's still trying new things. Yeah, he's a storyteller. I think that's that's the thing about Pete is he's just he's a great storyteller, and uh, he trusts his instincts. He's a little mischievous, you know. Mm-hmm. He, uh, I know it's, when you say mischievous, it sounds like somebody's twelve, but he has a little bit of that, like little kid. You know, he likes to push buttons a little bit, and not in a mean spirited way, but he just kind of likes to see what he can get away with. And it doesn't surprise me at all that that you know he would make a terrific movie. No, and again, looking at, uh, you know, all the things that you're in right now, uh, you know, one sort of through line is, you know, Ladder Milk obviously deals with uh, addiction issues and, and Million Little Things deals a lot with uh, mental health. Yes. And, you know, both cases, it's, uh, you know, not heavy handed. Neither show is really trying to beat you over the head with these things. But nonetheless, these are shows that are dealing with some pretty heavy subjects, uh, What's your take on TV and, and sort of you know, how it should address these kind of issues and, and how it does do that? Uh, you know, I feel like you want to do it uh, – y- you want to do it uh, – there's a way to do it responsibly. Uh, the main thing you have to do is you have to be honest about it and authentic about it and you have to be compelling. Um, there has to be a reason it's in there. If you're just kind of putting it in there so that you know you can – uh, wear a ribbon and, and have a poster. Uh, it's it's not going to work, and people aren't going to buy it, and they're they're going to be offended by it. Yeah. Um, to me, at the kind of the through line, and really, it kind of even Office Space is is a little similar. Both of these characters I'm doing right now, Loudermilk, uh, the, the comedy, the half hour comedy, and uh, Million Little Things, the the one hour drama. Um, they're kind of about people who are miserable, um, trying to get through the day. Yeah. Uh, and it's really about that struggle. And I think, you know, the difference is Peter Gibbons eventually gives himself permission to just be happy. Laudermilk can't give himself the permission to just be happy. He, um, he can't seem to ever be, be anything but miserable. And, uh, and John Dixon on A Million Little Things um, gives up altogether. Uh, so, you know, it's – but I think there's something about all of those things that appeals to me to, to explore. Yeah. And uh, hopefully it's relatable in a way that uh, people will either get something out of it or at least enjoy watching it or at the very least, uh, you know – won't hurt them. How how much do you know about uh, the the, the uh, million little things backstory? Has has DJ Nash given you? I the... know more than you. Yeah, but probably not much more than you. Yeah. Um, DJ likes to work on a need to know basis, uh, so he's completely forthcoming on all of the details that pertain to whatever particular scene that we're shooting 
uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. But he's also great about he doesn't want to dole out information. Uh, so a lot of the actors know specific things, uh, and and that's information that the the other actors don't know. Uh, are you guys preparing or comparing notes or? Uh... Um, uh, no, I think. Uh, well, maybe some people are. Yeah. I, I, uh, I no, I think it's a good it's a good way to work, um, and it's 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 part of the fun of it. Um, you know, and truth be told, even if he does tell me that something's true, that doesn't mean he can't change it. Uh, a couple episodes later and flip it and find out, oh, no, that wasn't true. Yeah. So uh, it, I, it does, I think, preserve a lot of freedom for him to be able to take the show where he wants to take it. Let me ask you one more question about Loudermilk, and then we'll get to uh, your favorite episode uh, question. But um, the relationship between him and Ben. Yeah. Um, I, you know, again, I've only seen the first couple of episodes. I feel like this is a friendship that you know needs to be salvaged, and it will be at some point. But but what do you what do you make of, of that, and and how tough will it be for for Loudermilk to uh, you know regain that 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 friendship and and that trust in his former best friend? Well, it's you know it's funny the, the louder milk Ben relationship is uh, you know how there's a bromance yeah this is like uh, an old bro married couple yeah that squabbles at each other constantly but you know they just need each other yeah and uh, in in a in a really fun way it's uh, it's like they got a divorce. At the uh, at the end of the last uh, season, and, yeah. and now we're uh, now we're exes, basically. That uh, you know, on the on the outs, and it's kind of funny to see two you know sort of middle aged guys, basically, or at least this one is. Uh, I won't pin that on Will. <laughs> um, you, you know, behaving that way, the way that you would sort of expect uh, you know an old married right. couple to be. Yeah, um, but it is a big. I mean. That you know, Ben was his sponsor. Ben was his kind of best slash only friend, uh, his roommate, um, and the the his rock, kind of the anchor, the the person that first helped him on the get on the, get him on the path to get clean. So it's uh, you know he's gonna ladder milk's uh, a little bit out in the wind without Ben. Um, and it, I don't know. It's it's um it's very funny. Yeah. The, uh, ben does a, does come back. He comes back around eventually, and uh, you know. And then I I I won't give it away. But it but it's not easy. It's not yeah. a quick. Oh, here we're back. Right, right. Because it, I mean, it is truly the, the the real love affair of this series, and it's heartbreaking to see those two. On the outs, but that's yeah, heartbreaking and really funny. And, and exactly, like, it's, it's it, you know, seeing him. It, there's a little punch and Judy, yeah, uh, to it too. That's kind of fun to watch. It's what drives the show, definitely. Well, Ron, thanks for stopping by. Thank uh, congrats you. on uh, you know again dominating all three platforms, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing what's next. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, yeah, anything in particular you're excited about that you can talk about? Or uh, I've got a couple of films in the can that uh, are are coming out, but I don't I don't really know the uh, the calendar when they're going to be, and yeah. and they change titles so often that I, I I hesitate to even say the name. Put the thing. I will, out. Say, I will say one. Yeah. There's a film called uh, The Man Who Killed Hitler, and then The Bigfoot, which I I you know I signed on to. On the title, on the basis yeah. of the title alone, yeah. you know, 
Yeah. And Sam Elliott is in it, so you got to you can how do you say no to that? Sam Elliott having another moment um, right now too. So. But that's probably the best title that I of, of I saw that on your IMDb and I'm like, yeah. "What is that? Right. Like is that real?" <laughs> yeah, I uh I can't wait to see it. What what I, do you play in that? I I come in and I play a government like a government uh, agent. Uh-huh. Um but yeah. Okay. Well, we'll keep, keep our eyes peeled. I thought you were going to tell me you play Hitler, but uh. no, <laughs> no, not in this one. All right. Well, thanks, Ron. Thanks for stopping by. Great talking to you. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. That's it for this edition of My Favorite Episode. Join us again next time as we once again explore another guest pick. And be sure to subscribe to My Favorite Episode on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com for your daily fix of TV news, analysis, and reviews. I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you again next time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.